I think there's a movement of enlightenment and people seeking, and there's so much information. There's so much opportunity on the internet and wherever else. So you can really find whatever you're looking for. Welcome to today's episode of Within Us. I am with Sam Glazer, and we are talking all about joy. Life still comes at you. There's still ups and downs. There's still big challenges that all human beings face, but you do so with on, on a raft that helps you negotiate the rapids of life. And when bad things happen, yeah, you're knocked for a loop, but you recognize deep in your heart that this is for the good because it's coming from a creator of heaven and earth that has created this world that is giving me life, that gives me breath, that is allowing my breakfast to digest so I can be talking to my dear friend, Azriella. <laughs> right, that this is all, so everything's a gift. And so nothing, true. nothing is coming to me. Nothing is owed to me, that it is all an, a gift, open miracles, that I am walking around in a world that is saturated with godliness. Welcome back to another episode of Within Us. It was so wonderful having a conversation with Sam Glazer all about joy. And you know me by now, and you know that I love talking about joy. And you know that for me, it's something really authentic, and it comprises so many different emotions, the real authentic emotions that we have in life. And there's this deeper joy, even if we are going through hard times or sadness or the difficulties that are so normal for all of us in life, there's really a deeper sense of joy, a joy of living that Sam spoke about in our talk. And I I think you're really going to love it. You're going to get a lot out of it as I did. A little bit about Sam. He is one of the top Jewish musicians in the English speaking world today. He has over 20 albums under his belt, and he's done annual concerts for many years all over the world now. He sings so soulfully. He sings for adults, for children. His kids' music was a staple when my kids were younger. Growing up, we'd listen to his music in the car, and and it always brought a smile to everyone's face. And I think that's really the magic and the power of Sam's music and Sam's personality and what he does. And what's so amazing is that Sam just wrote a book. He just wrote a book called The Joy of Judaism. And he and I talk all about it on today's episode. And you're really going to love it. So thanks so much for being here. And let's go ahead and get started with the convo. Sam Glazer, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here and hear all about your work and your new book and everything about joy. You are really the perfect person to be inspiring us and sharing about this today. So let's go ahead and get started. How did you get inspired to write about joy and where do all these ideas that you are speaking about come from? So um, we see throughout our sacred texts the urgency of serving God joyfully. And I just find that uh, growing up in the reform and conservative movement as I did, that I saw sort of an attitude that the more you take on Jewishly, the more of a burden it is and who really needs that. And as I grew in my own Judaism in my 20s, I recognized that it's not burdensome. It's actually the greatest source of joy and you have to break through that illusion that 
you are constraining your life and instead you are releasing your um, yourself to uh, a, a parallel universe of tremendous goodness. And uh, I feel like um, around the time I started keeping Shabbat, I started really sort of tapping into this and my career which at that point was just doing music for uh, TV and film um, was uh, sort of in a transition mode because I really enjoyed performing for human beings more than anything. Sitting in a studio and making music for the screen was great, but there was really nothing like getting out and, and playing for human beings. And as my Jewish music started to catch on, as I started to write it, it was just a, a, a great fulfillment of that dream to spend my time um, singing for people, selling my own albums, singing my own music. And uh, so I was feeling a tremendous sort of feedback loop of joy um, in this ability to express myself, as it sounds like you witnessed about 20 years ago. And I've just sort of stayed on that, on that wavelength. Um, I do uh, an average of about 50 cities a year on my tour. Um, I have the great gift of per, per, uh, performing and uh, also producing. So I have clients here in my studio that I make albums for, many of which are in the Jewish world as well. And about nine years ago, I realized that uh, I think I'm a decent writer and I wanted to just encapsulate all the good feelings I had about my heritage um, in an encyclopedic overview of Jewish living and how to suck the marrow out of every life experience. So I go through ritual and life cycle events and holidays and um, Jewish keywords um, to just describe step-by-step step how a Jew can connect deeply with the creator and with, the fellow, with his, fellow, his or her fellow Jews um, and ultimately with uh, oneself. Something that's always fascinated me about Judaism and about so much of the wisdom is that much of it is universal. Ideas about joy, right, and ideas about connecting with our creator are accessible to anyone, in yes. Judaism, I believe. One is that um, I really do believe that universal message of Judaism is, uh, is getting exposed little by little. Um, I think there are fewer seekers these days. I think people are getting so absorbed in the matrix of the media, social media, uh, Netflix, whatever it is, that they are not, that self-discovery is, is, um, is increasingly rare. But at the same time, I think there's a movement of enlightenment and people seeking, and there's so much information. There's so much opportunity on the internet and wherever else. So you can really find whatever you're looking for. And I think so many of the messages of Judaism um, are coming out into the world. You know, just the idea of taking a day off, um, being free from your media and your smartphone for a day like we do on Shabbat. Um, the idea of modesty and humility as a virtue. Um, I think corporate America is adopting a lot of those standards to avoid getting into Me Too, um, quote unquote, situations. So a lot, of, a lot of the inherent spirituality of Judaism, I think, is really coming through um, more and more. And I have had, thank God, you know, the book's only been out for a few months, but I've had my first um, feedback from uh, 
readers and a lot of the ones who are not Jewish have felt like reading the book has been a real window into understanding what Judaism is really about. And so, um, so I don't know, that's very exciting to me that uh, it's speaking to all peoples. Um, <clears throat> in terms of my own journey, um, I was a singer songwriter, got out of college, uh, went to uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston and University of Colorado Boulder, got my degree in music and business and made a very intense attempt to become a rock star. So, <laughs> so I opened I my first it. recording studio. I was recording my music. You know, as I said, I was doing music for TV and film as a sort of a day job. And I thank God got this great contract with the Warner Brothers Network to be their in-house music guy. Wow. So anytime they would cut to commercial or need music for um, bumpers or whatever they were doing, um, they needed stock music ready to go. So I was supplying all of that. I was also doing all the music for the professional sports teams, uh, the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Clippers for their, uh, for their broadcasts. So I was keeping myself alive by doing that. Um, but at the same time, as I said, I really had this deep desire to be performing my own music and actually being out in front of a crowd. So uh, as I started doing that, um, simultaneously, I got that great rush of, you know, I may not be playing the, the, a stadium, um, but I'm playing in synagogues and JCCs, Jewish community centers, um, and sometimes even in churches where there's a spiritual group who are there to be enlightened as well as entertained. And that just seemed to really dovetail to what I have to offer. So, That's beautiful, um, Sam. I didn't know that you did that. Yeah. So around that time, I met my wife, which was, uh, you know, uh, one of the greatest gifts. Thank God we've been uh, married 26 years. And uh, we've... Uh, you know, taking this crazy road together. And a lot of the book reflects this journey um, of fatherhood and the dilemmas and opportunities of, of being a parent, uh, you know, trying to be the best dad I could be, balancing work and my fatherhood, um, taking lots of great vacations, sharing my love of the wilderness and the outdoors, um, with my kids, teaching them to really go for it in life. And in the end, when I finished writing this book, and uh, as I said, it took nine years, you know, it was a real long process. I wrote 2,500 words a month. That was my discipline. Wow. Um, there's 70 chapters, and I had this overview of all the things I wanted to discuss. Um, I realized at the end that this was really my way of coping with empty nest syndrome. Really? This was my way of dealing with being so deeply saturated in the fatherhood experience and then one by one seeing my kids leaving the nest. And uh, as of this year, you know, my 19-year-old my daughter, Sarah, um, made Aliyah to Israel. So things are very quiet in my home. Wow. That and is a big transition. Big transition. So I think a lot of my process of writing this book has been sort of that catharsis that comes with writing and self-expression, um, just getting this material out into the world um, and off of my chest. So, How does it feel? 
how does it feel? Um, well, it's interesting. I think my wife and I are both dealing with this differently. Um, I am filling my time with um, obviously getting as much work done as I possibly can and, um, and having a lot of fun. <laughs> Why I, am I not surprised? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's holy hedonism, you know? It's like, how can I milk life forever? I've always had this incredible drive to get the most out of every moment. Um, I don't have kids now at home clamoring for my attention. So I'm feeling that hole with my favorite action sports, like, you know, jumping in the ocean and catching waves and mountain biking and hiking and, you know, doing those things that I love. And uh, skiing, I'm very excited for ski season coming up. Um, so, you know, I'm able to invest a little bit more in that side of me. And uh, another thing I love to do, being that I love music so much, it's both my vocation and my avocation. So when I'm done after a long day in the studio with a client, I'm going out to music. I'm hearing, you know, the, the music scene in LA um, is inhabited by a lot of friends of mine. In other words, it's a very small world, this professional music scene. So the guys that play the clubs are often friends of mine. And I like to go out and support them and, uh, you know, to be part of that scene. So, so I'm doing a lot of that. That's incredible. So for anyone who's listening and, and, you know, if you want to be inspired to do awesome stuff, you got to follow Sam on social media because honestly, I feel like every other day I'm opening up my feed and I see you're like on a boat or traveling <laughs> with your family or skiing down a mountain and you're, you're, you, you're inspiring people to, to really live life. And I, I love that so much. And, you know, it's interesting you call it holy hedonism because you are so spiritually focused. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you, how you got into all of this. How'd you get into music and, and how'd you get into all these sports and all of these things that you're, you're so interested in? Um, well, I grew up in LA in Brentwood, um, went to Palisades High, it's right by the beach. So the beach was always a very important part of my life. So I'm sort of a, uh, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew, but I'm a surfer dude at heart. <laughs> I, I feel you. I grew up with a view of the ocean. So right. I, I totally hear what you're saying. Right. The two have to contradict each other either. I think a lot of people might think, oh, Orthodox, like boring and, you know, kind of in the books all day, but yeah. it doesn't have to be like that. No, it doesn't. And you, I really believe there's uh, an importance to uh, having balance in our lives. The great sage Maimonides was a real proponent of what he called the Shvil Hazahav, the golden path, which is that place of balance, not being extreme in any way. And if there's things that you love doing, you know, that we are here on this planet to really maximize our own um, personal, um, as we say in Hebrew, our tafkid, our, our life task, and to, um, to enjoy ourselves. So I've always enjoyed sports. I've always enjoyed hiking. I've been, um, as a kid, I was part of the Sierra Ski and Pat Club, which was uh, for, uh, I guess I started doing that when I was about 10. Like 10 to 15, every summer I spent in the backcountry on these extended backpacking trips. Wow. Um, I wrote a lot of songs about the wilderness. My father um, had one of my lyrics to my song screen printed 
on a tablecloth um, and made 50 of them to serve as a tablecloth for my bar mitzvah party. <laughs> what an incredible idea. Yeah, so uh, I made my first album when I was 11 because I was songwriting since I was seven. And thank God an aunt put me in the recording studio because she, you know, and my parents appreciated this budding ability that I had. Um, and I was singing about the world and um, emotions and loneliness and intensity of just being human. At such a young age. Incredible. So what were the song lyrics that were on the tablecloth? A place that is untouched by man is the most beautiful there could be. Where man and nature go hand in hand, it's been experienced by me. The rushing water makes me feel power. The mountains give me pride. I'm relaxed by the wind and flower. I feel joy deep down inside. The love the wilderness holds for me, no one else can supply. Just being there makes me happy. I will feel it till I die. <laughs> I wrote that when I was 11. <laughs> I'm no kidding. That is, is that hysterical? so beautiful. So please tell us that we can find it on iTunes or something. I mean, that's so uh, that is That is nowhere. <laughs> can you re-record it or something? I mean, it's so deep and it's so beautiful, especially that, uh, that you recorded that at such a young age. Yeah, I just realized for the first time, as I sang it to you, that it's got the word joy in it, you know, that I was already kind yeah. of focused on that. Isn't that amazing that at such a young age, you were already there? Yeah. So let's talk about joy. Let's talk about that because it's in your song. It's the title of your book. And I know that that title didn't happen by accident. So I had, I'm curious to hear more. Um, well, I wanted to call it the joy of Judaism. I'm really big into uh, joyful spiritual practice. And I really believe when uh, it starts to feel like a burden, you have to back off. And I think the best spiritual mentors are those who encourage baby steps taking things little by little so that you can digest the growth and then feel ready to move on. And I had um, a, a, an awareness of the book, The Joy of Cooking and a few other joy books that are out there. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, you know, has the joy of Judaism been taken? And I did a web search, uh, doing business as search. And sure enough, I was able to get the websites. And yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's so, so I just awesome. It. I wanted this book to be generic, you know, in that I didn't want it to appeal to uh, reformed conservative or only orthodox. I wanted it to be uh, available for those who were curious about Judaism who are not necessarily Jewish. And it just seems to be, seem to be the more generic title. I tried to imagine what I would see sitting on a Barnes and Noble bookshelf. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing that you are open to sharing all of this with everyone in spite of whatever denomination somebody might identify with. You know, sometimes those denominations can be a little bit limiting. Really, we're all after these same things, we're all looking for joy. So it's incredible. I think we really see eye to eye about that need. And I'm curious if you think that everyone has the capacity to be joyful and to be spiritual. I think everyone has the capacity for spirituality. 
and some people are a little more um, open to it. Just like some people think they're tone deaf and can't really hear a melody. Um, I have found, you know, being that I run a recording studio and I'm producing singers a lot, that there is um, there are very few people who are actually tone deaf. Almost really? anybody can be taught to sing. Wow. And there's a way to work with people to help them find that sort of inner tonality to, uh, to become singers. And they may not become virtuosos over the course of their lives, but at least they can um, figure out what their own mental block is to uh, creating music. So I also believe that spiritually, some people feel closed off or feel like they don't have a spiritual side or some people don't even believe they have a soul. Um, so what I try to do in my book is take them step by step through an acknowledgement of what that feels like to have a soul, what it means, what, what the dynamic of the soul is and how it communicates with the body and that body-soul uh, duality that we all experience. I always felt spiritual. So I didn't really have this great awakening. I mean, like I, that song I just sang for you, I seem to have this awareness of um, my soul and mortality, even as a little kid. So um, I think what I'm trying to do with this book is share that feeling um, and offer ways in to this realm of the spirit. And uh, what I found within my faith is a great stepping stone um, path to get from point A to point B. So, um, you know, just, to, just by way of example, um, there's a very popular rabbi in Pico Robertson right now. I don't think he was here when you were here. Um, but he's he decided he was going to offer a Monday class, Monday night, um, for anyone who wants to come free of charge. And it's just essentially a basic overview of Jewish law. Not necessarily your most spiritual class in the world. And I showed up expecting, this was, it started about three weeks ago. I showed up expecting, you know, maybe eight guys sitting around a table. And over a hundred people showed up. Wow. Every week there's been consistently a hundred people for this lecture. Like they've had to expand the room and expand the room and expand the room over and over again. And now it's sort of reached this sort of point where it's just this huge lecture because there's so many people hungry for, for learning. And when, when the circumstances are right, you know, picking a Monday night and making it free, um, and the topic seems very dry. It's all about Jewish law, but we're learning how Jewish law pertains to keeping the Sabbath. So the legal system as it's pro provided and described in Judaism um, seems like a very dry uh, legalistic practice. Like you need a law degree to understand it. But what it's really doing is opening the shell to a, it's opening the shell of the nut inside, which is, the, the best way for a soul to live in this world. And I'm just finding it fascinating how much soul is invested 
in each of these classes, even though it's really about a very dry topic, which is the ins and outs of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. There's a great article um, by Rabbi Natan Lopez Cardozo on the difference between Beethoven and Bach. And the quintessential difference is that Bach stuck with the confines of Baroque music in terms of the rules that were sort of unspoken but defined by uh, the various musicians at the time. There were things you did musically and things that were not okay to do. And within those very narrow confines, Bach created the most remarkable masterpieces. Beethoven also created remarkable masterpieces. I share a birthday with Beethoven. I totally resonate with wow. Beethoven. But Beethoven also broke all the rules and sort of freed those classical and Baroque constructs and created what then became known as romantic music. So they're both great, but what Cardozo is doing is saluting Bach, who within the rules managed to create masterpieces. And just like planets have orbits, just like animals have instincts that keep the animal's kingdom working, just like the plants in the forest all have a, a way of growing that when there's a forest fire, the undergrowth is able to grow again and it sort of thins out the trees and it's part of the natural um, rhyme and reason. Human beings also have a path, a rhyme and reason, a way we function best. I really believe that the, the uh, spiritual world as defined by Judeo-Christian thinking um, is tapping into the essential laws of how to be human. And that's why it's powerful and that's why it's lasted this long. It's so beautiful. It's sort of helping us get in touch with this uh, divine mandate for the way human beings can get along. You know, the things like do not murder, do not steal, do not kidnap. You know, all those various things that we right, get. Right, respect for life, respect for other people. Right. And so, yeah. When a barbaric system like we've come from, like the Middle Ages and all the various atrocities over history, slowly but surely we've developed this Western Weltanschung, I think it's called in German, this Western worldview that's really, when you come down to it, not to boast about Judaism so much, but it's really a Jewish worldview about how people can best get along. And I think, I mean, my own feeling is that this kind of information is coming from beyond. It's not, it cannot have been created by human beings. It's really coming from a place above and beyond, from that soul, place of souls. Right. Um, I, I so hear you. I feel like the deeper you look into these ancient texts, the more you realize there is just no way a person could have written any of this. Right. So, uh, and just like, you know, I keep going back to music analogies, but um, just like we don't go to hear a symphony play because we want to hear horsehair scraping cat gut, which is essentially all the violins are doing. Really? As those, as the bows hit the strings. No, the, the, the physical gives rise to this ephemeral spiritual experience that you get when you're sitting there in the dark listening to an amazing classical work being performed live. Wow, the power of music, huh? Right. So it's just a it's a it's a hint that all the physical is just 
giving structure to the realm of the spiritual. Wow. The more we are able to perceive that and perceive our world as just a matrix upon which this spiritual world can exist and thrive, the more we're tapped into that, the more joyful we are. It is a absolute natural byproduct. It takes very little effort to remain in the world of the spirit when you are perceiving the spiritual all around you. And we can train ourselves to do that just like we can learn to sing. What a great metaphor. So beautiful. So I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking about this, this connection between spirituality and joy that you speak of and the fact that you've always felt, felt spiritual and you've always tapped into this joy. And I'm also wondering for a person who maybe isn't feeling so good, they're listening to our podcast and they want to learn more about joy and spirituality and maybe they've never experienced those things. Where do they start, Sam? <laughs> well, you have to start in the area that you most like. I mean, for me, nature experiences are immediate God experiences because I think when you're in a nature experience that's so profound, the oceans or the mountains or a rushing river or whatever, to just let that experience sweep over you, to realize that this is such, the beauty is just, it's just beyond there's something beyond happening here. I was just at the beach yesterday. Amazingly, um, or two days ago, we had this amazing series of 90 degree days here in LA. So I went on this great mountain bike ride, came out of the mountains, hit the beach bike path, and then spent sunset just sitting on the sand, watching the sun go down over the ocean as these giant pelicans are coming swooping in and diving for fish amidst these beautiful tubular waves that are coming in wow. from the, along the horizon. And, if, and for some people, it's just like, okay, I'm at the beach, big deal. Some people just need to have some beer with their, when they're at the beach and loosen up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody's got their technique to get there, but these are amazing nature experiences. The ego has no choice but to flee. We need our ego. It keeps us alive and keeps us looking after ourselves and remembering to eat and, you know, get enough sleep and whatever. But once in a while, it's good to just let it all go. Ego, yeah. as I've heard from my little brother, Yom Tov, means um, it stands for edge God out. Huh. So we need our ego, but we also need these godly moments. For some people, it's at a concert when the music is just so incredible. For some, it's going really fast. Going so, really fast, meaning? Like going skiing and going as fast uh -huh. as you possibly can which is kind of how I get my jollies in the wintertime. Okay. You know, everybody's got their thing that they like. For some people, it's getting, I don't know, into a really good book. I, I, everybody's got their thing. But, but um, it's just finding that place of peace and, and letting it take you. But I think nature is uh, kind of a universal. These are universal themes. You know, when music is um, placed in a movie, you know, a new Hollywood production comes out, they might dub in Romanian language for the Romanian market, but the score remains the same. They may have some Brazilian actors and actresses overdubbing the, the uh, Portuguese for the Brazil and Portugal markets but the music stays the same. Why? Because music's a soul thing. 
Music's just there to help you suspend disbelief. So for a lot of people, music is a language that can really get them into that place. If it's a classical concert or a U2 concert or an EDM dance thing where you're just dancing for three hours straight, whatever it is, um, I just believe there's wonderful ways to transport oneself to the realm of the spirit. As Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach said, we then have to take those moments of spiritual ecstasy and plug them in our day to day. Love it. To love recognize, it. Like yeah. Walking around every day with a beautiful song in your head. Right, exactly. And recognizing that the world as it seems is just scratching the surface and you've now seen beyond the scrim of nature of reality and you have the ability to keep that feeling you have to hold on to it so as jews we have 613 commandments that's how we hold on to it everybody's got their way to do it but for jews we have this very proscri prescribed um detailed set of 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 methods um between prayer, Torah study, and doing mitzvot, doing these commandments, um, to keep us continuously focused. When I took these things on, it just seemed like way too many rules. <laughs> but, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but as I took them on one by one, I started realizing, oh, wow, I am being opened up like a can. Opened up. Wow, that's, that's, that's a fascinating way to put it. So... So take us back there a little bit in terms of when did you discover that Judaism had a system of rules and, and how did that go for you in terms of becoming involved and taking them on one by one? Um, well, rules seemed like something I wasn't interested, in, you know, because like I said, I'm sort of the surfer dude at heart um, and really wasn't interested in more rules. But I saw firsthand um, mostly on my first trip to go study in a yeshiva in Jerusalem, you know, a Jewish school. Um, there's a special place there called Eish HaTorah that's uh, oriented towards young people without any Jewish background, you know, to give them a taste of their heritage. So it was kind of a perfect entry level experience for me. And I got to see how people were getting along, how there was incredible degree of honesty um, how people were super open, how they related um, intergenerationally, like at the Shabbat, um, the Sabbath meals and festive meals, how young people got along with their parents and everybody was communicating and integrating because they had this framework of Torah as their guide. And it was fascinating to me. So of course, in the beginning, I was just kind of like an anthropologist checking out this ancient, strange culture. But the more I learned, the more I realized, oh, this is, this is my culture. This is my unique way in to the realm of spirituality. And all the other things that I had done in terms of um, yoga and meditation and whatever were wonderful and really gave me so much in my life. I'm still a yogi, you know, I'm still really into that in terms of the body soul connection that I get from that. But the unique channel that Judaism offered, I recognize I can't get anywhere else. And this is totally real and powerful. So I just, you know, I just tried, I tried to learn and take on one thing at a time. Incredible. So when it comes to your spiritual practice, 
Are there particular aspects of, of that that's, that stand out for you, that you connect with most, that you could share a little bit with us about? Um, well, somebody came up to me after a show and said, so Sam, I noticed you're wearing tzitzit, which are these fringes that Orthodox Jewish men wear. He says, there must be a good story behind that. So I gave him a little taste of my story, you know, what I've been through and whatever. And he goes, wow, I mean, how do you know where to stop? Wow. Stop? I don't want to stop. I'm in all the way. At some point in your growth, um, in, in the realm of Judaism, you just say, I'm in. And until you do, you're learning and you're sort of on the outside. And as soon as you say, I'm in, you're on the inside. And I describe it in my book, which by the way, um, is available at um, amazon.com. Awesome. Just Google the joy of Judaism uh, by Sam Glazer. I'm putting it in the show notes too for all the listeners who, <laughs> who, who need this book. It's going to be there. All the links. Okay, good. And, and uh, I also have a website, thejoyofjudaism.com. On it. Um, so anyway, um, Okay, wait, I just lost my train of thought with that little. So, so you were you were. Oh yeah, so this guy said concert about your tzitzit. Yeah, the guy said. So, how do you know when to stop? And I talked about being coming all the way in, and I compared being all the way in to trying to inflate a balloon with helium. That's perforated. If you're trying to inflate a balloon with holes, the helium is always going to escape, but as soon as you close the holes up that balloon can go to the stratosphere. And I figured out that there are certain key things in Judaism that are like those holes that like, for example, I don't want to have to keep Shabbat. It's too big a pain in the butt. It's a big inconvenience for me. <laughs> I cannot fathom giving up going to the beach on a Saturday or driving to go to ski or whatever. How did um, you know that was my thing, the beach on Saturday? Right. I mean, it was like, there's no way. And, and, for, and to make matters worse, being a musician, our main gigs are always on Friday and Saturday nights. Wow. So, you know, it seemed like it was committing career suicide. But at a certain point, I didn't understand all of the laws. I didn't understand everything that I needed to do. I just said, okay, I'm in. I'm going to trust the rabbi. I'm just going to give this a try. I'm in. I'm taking it on. And I really believe that spiritually, I, I, like the, the difference is between that helium balloon with holes that's just going to continuously be blown out and on the ground versus one that's soaring. Life still comes at you. There's still ups and downs. There's still big challenges that all human beings face, but you do so with on, on a raft that helps you negotiate the rapids of life. <laughs> I'm full of analogies this morning. It's These are funny. so good. <laughs> it's so good because it's like the nature and the adventure are such powerful, powerful images to understand exactly what you're saying. And, and I'm, I'm like envisioning this raft and it makes so much sense. And I think Sam, you have such a powerful message when you talk about the fact that there are ups and downs that all humans go through in life. Yes. Yep. So how do so how do we stay joyful? What do we do? Um, well, we have to uh, we have to uh, we need a raft. We need the raft. So you need the raft. The raft is your spiritual um, flotation device. Nice. 
And that takes building. So every spiritual practice has their unique way of, of fulfilling that. And uh, I can only speak as a Jew. Um, the way I've done it in my life is to take on this spiritual matrix that I really do believe is God-given. And uh, where it doesn't quite fit for me or it's awkward to say, well, it's not the spiritual practice that's awkward. It's me that's awkward and working to make it work in my own personality. And, uh, you know, and just, just doing that little by little gives people, I believe, the ammunition, the spiritual ammunition to be able to face anything. And when bad things happen, yeah, you're knocked for a loop, but you recognize deep in your heart that this is for the good because it's coming from a creator of heaven and earth that has created this world that is giving me life, that gives me breath, that is allowing my breakfast to digest so I can be talking to my dear friend, Azriella. <laughs> right? That this is all, it's everything's so a gift. Deep. It's and so nothing, true. nothing is coming to me. Nothing is owed to me. That it is all an, a gift, open miracles. That I am walking around in a world that is saturated with godliness. And I really do believe that things like music and nature and being with your loved ones opens that door to be able to perceive that there is something much more going on here. That even that slightly tone deaf person can figure out, oh yeah, I do have a soul. That is the language that the soul is speaking to me in. My drive for happiness, my drive for meaning, my inherent knowledge of good and evil. So that learning about the soul sort of opens this Pandora's box. All right, friends, that was totally bizarre. We were <laughs> recording our episode using Zoom, which is an amazing platform, and I highly recommend it, although that was a glitch. And it was so bizarre because when Sam said that learning about the soul opens a Pandora's box, Zoom literally kept repeating the word box, 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 as though it was beatboxing. So I got a laugh out of that, and it brought a smile to my face, which is so appropriate for this episode.
much for being here. Check out the show notes for info on Sam, how to get in touch with him, how to learn more about his concerts, his tours, and his incredible book, The Joy of Judaism. Have an incredible week, and I will see you next time.